This is a production of the Z Talk Radio Network. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Z Talk Radio, its affiliates, or sponsors. Wow. It's dark. Well, let's have some light on the subject. Put on your critical thinking caps and please refrain from hugging. It's time for Dimland Radio with your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Hello and welcome to Dimland Radio here on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not really a doctor. I just play doctor online, and I thought I would sh- uh, start this week's show with one of these. It's time for another Dimland Radio pedantic moment. What did they get wrong this time, Dim? Well, I'll tell you what they got wrong this time. And I will say that the they includes me. All right. This is how it starts. Okay, so uh, I watch on the YouTube um, a uh, channel that goes by the name Professor of Rock. And the Professor of Rock is a fellow named Adam Reeder. And he's he's kind of a nerdy but cool, very enthusiastic guy. Uh, when it comes to rock music, he really he really digs it. He's into it. He has a wide ver- range of tastes, as far as I can tell. And and his his YouTube channel is very well produced. Uh, it, and and you know, as he and he in, he gets uh, interviews with people that uh, that create some of the great rock music that he talks about. And uh, <clears throat> um, and he does these videos that go, I don't know, maybe they might be 15 minutes long or 20 minutes long, whatever. And he examines little pieces of history of rock music. Uh, he, he looks at uh, certain artists or gives the background about certain songs and all that. And, and again, he does this all very enthusiastically. He's, he's very sincere. Seems like he's a really nice guy. And he's just enjoyable to watch. And he does a really good job of it. Um, uh, they, like I said, they are well-produced videos. Uh, it's not just some guy who turns on a camera and sits there and talks. I mean, there's actual production value going on. You know, you know an introdu- introduction kind of thing that plays and all, all sorts of stuff. Anyway, so he's really good. You should check him out, the Professor of Rock. Well, I saw that he had put up a, a video. Well, I just saw it last week, but um, apparently the video dropped on the YouTube almost a year ago. I mean, almost to the day a year ago. And um, it's about what he calls hidden gems from the 1970s. He's done shows like that about songs from the 1980s and some from the 1990s, but they hadn't done the 70s yet, so this one was the first where he picks five songs. He calls them hidden gems, although the title of the video, 
on the YouTube, it says Forgotten Gems, which I think is more accurate to what he's talking about, because he was talking about songs that were, um, that were hits at the time, uh, that they came out in whatever time period, you know, or whatever it was in the 70s, early 70s, mid 70s, whenever. And uh, it's just that as the format of classic rock radio began to take shape in the late 1970s and then through the 1980s, for whatever reason, these songs that he profiles on this particular video just don't make the cut. They're just forgotten. So, um, and they're not exactly hidden. To me, a hidden gem, and this isn't the pedantic moment, but to me, although I am being pedantic, to me, a hidden gem is like a deep cut on an album, or it's a B-side, or it's a bootleg that just never really was meant to be released. It's something that's a great song, it just, just never got found. It's a, it's a hidden gem. Uh, may have gotten some radio play, but not much. But these, these were hits uh and then they just sort of went away and they nobody and they maybe they get a little airplay these days but not much so the first one that he uh profiles is a song by uh the band the canadian rock band the guess who now that's the guess who not the who the greatest rock band in the, in rock history the who that's the greatest but the guess who were pretty good uh, and, and they had a really good lead singer, uh, Burton Cummings. I mean, he had a very distinctive voice and all that. And they had some, they had some hits. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, they're probably most known for American Woman, that song. But they have others. Uh, and anyway, so he's uh, going to profile uh, their partic uh, the particular song that he picked was the song Share the Land. Now, this makes me want to do a little sidetrack here. I'm going to do a little sidetrack to tell you this story. Uh, I think I've told this story on the show before, but why not tell it again? Because it's a, I don't know, I like the story. Back in my art school days, pretty sure it was art school days, maybe just after the art school days, but I'm pretty sure, right smack in the middle of the art school days, uh, I, w I, was, uh, I was hanging out with my friend John, who was a friend from high school. Uh, after we graduated high school, we hung out a bit in, during high school, but after high school, we really started hanging out together, going to concerts all the time uh, you know, with each other, going to First Avenue, going to Twins games, going to the bar. You know, we were hanging out. And, uh, um, and we were into the cool music, you know, the good stuff, uh, the kind of stuff I play in the bumpers for the show. But anyway... Um, Another uh, few of our friends from high school, they, we all decided, let's go see the Guess Who. They're going to play at the Caboose. Now, the Caboose, that's C-A-B-O-O-Z-E, Caboose, uh, is, a, is a music venue in Minneapolis. It's a bit smaller than First Avenue, but it's, uh, I, you know, like First Avenue, I think, holds like, 1,500 people or 1,800 people, something like that, and the caboose may be 600 people, 700, I don't know, maybe more now. I think the, the club is still around, I think. Uh, I haven't checked to, to make sure, but in those days, it was a smaller club for seeing music, although they could get a fair amount of people in there. Uh, and so the guess who were playing... And I didn't check to see if Burton Cummings was singing with them. I think he probably was. I hope he was. <laughs> Because, you know, it's not really the guess who without him, right? Anyway, um, 
and it was so they were playing. The tickets were reasonable, and it was uh, two for one beer night. And uh, so so John and I, who the guess who might not might have been high on our list of bands to see, but we thought, well, yeah, they're good enough, and let's hang with our buds from high school. Why not? Let's go. So that's what we did. And before the band started playing, uh, the guys in our group, you know, it's two for one beer night. They would give me their second beer. Ah, Jim, you want it? You know, they they they. Because I, I don't know, because I was a poor art student, and they were trying to, you know, help me out without me having to spend a bunch of money. But I ended up getting a little bit, uh, a little bit inebriated, just a, just a little. And um, the guests who come out and they start playing, and I just, I was. Uh, when you talk about enthusiasm, I was very enthusiastic about what I was watching, and I was jumping up and down and dancing. And in the course of doing that, I would be bumping into people because it's kind of packed in there on the floor, and people were just kind of doing their thing, watching, tapping their shoes, and maybe doing a little dancing. But I would be, I was bumping into people. I wasn't slam dancing, mind you, but uh, which was something we did back in the day. But I was, you know, bonk, bonk, bonk. I'd be hitting these people, and you know, it's, and and I was just having a grand old time. When I don't know, a couple few songs in, uh, two fellows pulled me aside. They weren't part of our group. They weren't people that worked at the caboose. It was two guys that were down there to enjoy the show, and they pulled me aside. And they didn't pull me aside and say, "Knock it off. We're going to kick your ass." <laughs> uh, what they did was they said, "Hey, dude." We, we appreciate you're enjoying the show. It's, you're having a great time. It's great. We, we're glad you're liking the show and everything like that. But you're being a bit obnoxious. Now, these may not have been the exact words they used, but it was in, along these lines. It was polite. It was understanding. It was not threatening. They were just saying, come on, you know, cool it. You know, just take it down a notch. Just take it down a notch, okay? Just, you know, just let other people enjoy it and, and enjoy the show. And you enjoy it too, but, you know, just, just take it down a little. And I went, I, and when they told me that, I immediately said, oh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, I just, I didn't even occur to me. I didn't realize that. I'm sorry. I was being an asshole, and I didn't, you know, and I don't want to be an asshole. Even then, I didn't want to be an asshole. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't, you know, drunkenly say, hey, I'm having a good time. Let me do it. No, I didn't do that. I just realized, okay, I'm, I'm the wrong here. I'm going to settle down. So I did. And watched the rest of the show, and it was enjoyable. It was great. And they got to um, one point in the, in, the, in, the, in the night, and they played the song, Share the Land. See? See? See what I'm doing there? I'm connecting. You know, not only is the band the same band that I was talking about earlier in my pedantic moment, which I'm still in. I'm just on a sidetrack. But I'm also the song. The song is I'm connecting here. So they played the song, Share the Land. And, they, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with the song. I'll try to remember to link it so that you can check it out. It's an okay, it's okay song. It's, it's not bad. But they get to a, a point uh, toward the end of the song where they repeat the line. I think it goes, uh, shake my hand, share the land. Or it's share the land, shake my hand. I'm not sure which goes first. But they repeat that. And then, to add the drama to the song, they all stop playing their instruments, but they keep singing. So they're doing a cappella and their harmonies are going. And, you know, so they're singing this. Share the land, shake my hand, share the land, shake my hand. And as they're doing that, when they stop playing their instruments and they're singing a cappella, they start to reach out to shake the hands of the people in the crowd. And who do you think 
were the two people that practically climbed up and over John and I, over our backs, to get their hands out to shake hands with the band. Yeah, it was the two guys that told me to take it down a notch. Ah, you know, turnabout's fair play, I guess. I don't know. They're fine. It was fine. We got through the show, enjoyed it. Uh, nobody got beat up. And then my friend John got to tease me about this for years afterward. Just said, yeah, your favorite band, the Guess Who. <laughs> anyway, so the professor of rock, he's going to talk about the song Share the Land. But before he gets to that, he gives some background on the band, the Guess Who which, as I said, uh, uh, the lead singer was, uh, uh, was Burton Cummings. That was the lead singer. And he, but uh, but uh, the professor mentions another member, a founding member of the band, who had left before the Share the Land song came out, and I think that was the name of the album that came out, like 1971-72. Uh, he left the band to begin uh, to, to um, uh, start up another band that... Uh, that you know that this this founding member who was leaving the Guess Who uh, used his name as part of the name of this other band, which you've heard of. This other band was called. This is the Professor of Rock saying, Backman Turner Overdrive. The moment he said Backman Turner Overdrive, my brain. In my brain, I, my, my, my little pedant soldier in my brain stood up and said, What? Wait a minute. No, it's Bachman-Turner Overdrive. Don't you know it's Bachman-Turner? You're the professor of rock. You're supposed to know this kind of stuff. Don't you? Don't, it's it's Bachman-Turner Overdrive. And all, while this is, this is going on in my brain in an instant, really, it's, I mean, really, it's just, you know, your brain can do that kind of stuff real quick. And no sooner does my brain start going into that when... The, the professor of rock shows a clip from back in the day, back in whenever time during the 1970s, uh, of of Backman Turner Overdrive playing a, a live event on television. I don't know if it was like an award show or like I don't know the Midnight Special or whatever it was. They they're, they're playing some you know, one of their one of their songs like Taking Care of Business. So it's once one of their big hits. And that's the one they, they were playing. But before, you know, just as the clip opens up, I saw a familiar face. It was somebody that was introducing the band. And that person was none other than Keith Moon of The Who, the greatest rock band in the history of rock. And Keith Moon is introducing this band, and he says, Backman Turner Overdrive. So now you've got the professor of rock saying Backman, and he should know these things. He's the professor of rock. And then you've got Keith Moon saying Backman, and it's at the time period, and he's a contemporary of the band. So I would imagine he'd know what they were called. And so, you know, so they got two there. And then, as if that's not enough, the professor of rock plays a, uh, a bit of an interview that he did with Burton Cummings talking about, uh, I guess they're talking a little bit about that song and whatever, and Burton Cummings brings up the name of that band member who left and started Backman Turner Overdrive. The guy's name, incidentally, was Randy Backman. He, he's talking about his former bandmate, and he says the last name, and he says, Backman. So you got the professor of rock, who should know about this kind of stuff. You got Keith Moon, who was a contemporary of the guy, and 
you have Burton Cummings, who was part of the guy's band, all saying, Backman, Backman Turner Overdrive. When I told my wife about this, I looked at it and she said, I always thought it was Bachman Turner Overdrive. And I said, so did I. And that's probably because that's how we heard it pronounced by the DJs on the radio. And they were wrong. So, you know, when the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? So, just a just an interesting little nugget about you know, a pedantic moment. It's uh, it's Bachman Turner Overdrive. If anybody ever tries to convince you that no, 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 it's Bachman Turner Overdrive, you tell them that you heard it on Dimland Radio, and they'll say, "What the hell's that?" And you'll say it's a podcast that nobody listens to, but you know, but I do because we. It's a very exclusive thing. It's a very, very exclusive club. So you can feel special. What the hell time is it? Um, this might be early, but I'm going to take my break. Uh, you're listening to Dimland Radio on the Ztalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Jim Fitzsimmons. I'll be taking my break right now, and I'll be back. This is not the Guess Who or Backman Turner Overdrive. Or the Who, for that matter. It's the Vapors. I heard someone. Those other guys. The finger. You're listening to Z Talk Radio Network. Don't just take my word for it, but you are listening to Dimland Radio on Z Talk Radio Network. Do you believe in ghosts? Do you think Bigfoot is real? Do you suspect that your neighbor is really Val Tor, leader of the lizard people of Bendar 3? Well, Dr. Dim doesn't, and he'll tell you why when you tune in to Dimland Radio Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern on Talk Radio Network. It's an hour of science promotion, pop culture rants, personal observation, and of course, skepticism. Join Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons, Saturday nights, 11 Central, midnight Eastern, for Dimland Radio on Talk Radio Network. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio, the number one choice for music, sports, news, and talk radio. So keep that dial locked to ztalkradio.com. Dimland Radio here on the Z-Talk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Sorry about the rattling paper. Uh, and you're, and I'm talking to you on uh, on the show, <laughs> which is called Dimland Radio, which is what I just said, all that spiel. I got sidetracked uh, or distracted by my unfolding piece of paper here. Uh, but that will come into play as on the show. Um, so I wanted to do a little bit of a follow-up of... Uh, the Beatles Get Back uh, documentary series. Uh, I promise not to dwell on it too long, but I wanted to do a little bit of a, a follow-up because when I talked about it last week, I'd only gotten part of the way into the second uh, of the three episodes. And again, to reiterate, it is a fairly long 
um, series for three episodes. It runs, the whole thing together runs, you know, just about eight hours, maybe a little bit less with the credits and, you know, stuff like that. But it, it's, uh, it's fascinating. Uh, you, might, you might think, well, they don't have to include everything in this, but, uh, uh, and they don't, but um, it's just, uh, as like I was saying last week, to see the beginnings of a song like Get Back just start just you know, strum, Paul McCartney strumming on a bass on his bass guitar, and then just words coming to him, and then to see it come to fruition on the rooftop concert, which is what the the series culminates in that rooftop concert that the Beatles did. It's the, it's the last time all four of them performed together uh, ever, you know, and, and you know not not only as the Beatles but all four together. It was rumored that uh, Ringo Starr's song, uh, You're 16, uh, which is you know, a creepy song, but it's pleasant enough, but it's kind of creepy. You're 16, so beautiful, and you're mine. You know, and the guy's like 30. <laughs> it's a little creepy. But anyway, um, it is rumored that all four Beatles worked on that song. You know, like uh, there's a kazoo on there, and it's it's rumored that... Uh, John Lennon played the kazoo, and we do know that uh, George Harrison worked a lot with uh, Ringo on Ringo's solo stuff after leaving the Beatles. We know that, uh, and then Ringo worked on stuff with with John and George and Paul. You know, they 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 would, you know, individually they would work together. You know, not individually. You know what I mean? They pair up. Like it'd be George and Ringo would work on something, and maybe Ringo and Paul would work on something, and Ringo and John would work on something, or John and and, and George would work on something like that. But it was never as all four Beatles ever again. Except you know, and, and even you know the the songs that when they got back together in 1995 to do their anthology, and they did uh, "Free as a Bird" and "Real Love." That was John's voice on a recording, so it was yeah, it was the Beatles, but you know it's not quite the same. But I do like that song, "Free Bird." I "Free as a Bird," uh, not "Free Bird." No, and that song's okay, but "Free as a Bird," I do like that song. I thought it was a nice. I, anyway, so I'm getting sidetracked again. Boy, this is called the show, the sidetrack show. <laughs> Anyway, to see those song, that song come together, and they get up there on the roof, and they play, they do this concert, and Amy watched the third part of the series, and she said, you know, you, you, she was a little concerned, because the guys kept, you know, they were, they were in their studio now, they were out of the, uh, st the, the movie sound stage, they'd moved into their studio at uh, Apple, uh, Apple Core, their, their business headquarters. They had a studio in there, so they were working in there, playing together, and Billy Preston was coming in and, and, and playing with them, and um, you know, and, and stuff was coming together, but they would seem to be goofing around a lot. They were just goofing around and goofing around, and Amy was a little worried. She said, well, how are they going to get this together? And then she watched it, you know, sees the concert, says, and they got it together. They had the songs. They had them down. This is, I mean, it's astounding. That's astounding. There is a wonderful moment in the third part of the series. It relates to the rooftop concert, but it's not. You know, it, it, it's 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 another uh, great moment that they captured on film when some, uh, when a couple of people had an idea about where to do this concert that they were going to do. First, it was going to be somewhere in Africa. Then it was going to be somewhere out in the countryside in, in England somewhere. 
then somebody had the idea and they bring this idea up with one of the Beatles. I won't say which one, but just watch for a moment. They let you know in the in it the, they let you know. And it's wonderfully done. It's just the just the visuals of it of that moment are fantastic. Another thing that was really cool was uh, Peter Jackson um, made sure to tell uh, the viewer that when these guys were in their studio and they were just playing, what they wanted to do was just capture a live performance. They wanted to do, you know, all the songs were going to be played live. They weren't, they weren't going to be doing any overdubbing. There wasn't going to be anything like that. They were just going to, everything that they did was they would just put down the track, put it live. They picked the best version and they put it on the album. Uh, no tricks, no anything like that. Just this is this is what they did, and what Peter Jackson did it was brilliant. That when they were in the studio and they'd be playing a song, he they, they put a little text at the bottom of the screen that would say this version, and you know was used on Let It Be, the album that came out of all this stuff. And then when they were on the rooftop, this version was used on Let It Be. Great, great touch. It was great. But I wanted to talk about Ronald Dagg. I think that's how you say his last name. Not Ronald. Ray. Ray Dagg. I don't know how I've got Ronald. It's Ray Dagg. Police Constable Ray Dagg. Uh, as you watch the documentary, and they're playing up on the roof, uh, a couple of uh, police officers show up. And they are allowed into this into the building, and they're on the first floor, and they're talking to the receptionist and the road manager and these people, and these people working for the Beatles are trying to delay the police as much as they can, while the guys are doing their thing on the rooftop, and Ray Dagg is the guy that's doing most of the talking, the cop off, the the, the police constable who's doing most of the talking, and you know, and is looking somewhat annoyed. And there's an article about this fellow. And I thought, while watching it, I thought, geez, you know, this guy seems awfully young. And you would think he'd be, you know, kind of, he'd be down with the Beatles. You know? He seems like he'd be at that age. Uh, this is an article that uh, was on the uh, CTV News website. Uh, it's by Danielle uh, Hamadijin. Jijian? <laughs> I'm sorry. Ham Hamam Dijin. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry if I ruined her name, and I have. I know I have. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> I will link to it on the show notes. Go to dimland.com, click on the show notes uh, option, and you'll, you'll get to it. So I'll link to it. And I'm just going to read this to you. Over the years, hundreds of people have claimed to be on the rooftop at 3 Seville Row on Jan 30, 1969. When the Beatles gave what would turn out to be their last live performance, in all, eight or nine said they were police officers. In reality, there were only three, and the producers of the new documentary series, Get Back, needed to find them, especially the one who did the most talking that day. London Metropolitan PC Ray, Ray Dagg, that's D-A-G-G, -G, so I'm not sure if it's Dog or Dagg, I'm going to say Dag, was 19 at the time. He was 19. Like I said, he looked pretty young. He was 19 at the time. Uh, to his colleagues, he was known as Constable or Police Constable 574C. But to the legions of fans, 
who have now watched the docu-series on Disney+. Plus. He's the London cop who pulled the plug on the last live gig of one of the greatest bands in history. Apple Records staff later told Dag, there was only one way film producer, or filmmaker Peter Jackson would know if they had the right guy. There had to be a gap in his front teeth. Indeed, when he smiles, there it is. And these days, at age 72, it's not hard to smile. In his first TV interview since the docuseries was released, Dag told CTV News about the hundreds of messages he's received from all corners of the world, including Canada. That's where CTV is from. They got to put a Canadian connection. You know, you know when there's news items on in, in your in your town, the your state, they always try to you know some world event. They always try to link it to your state. Oh, we found a Minnesota connection. It's like they have a, a whole uh, well, they have like two or three people that it's their job to hunt down that connection to your state so that somehow, being a viewer watching the news, it means more to you. I, I don't know. Maybe it does. Anyway, most going back to the article. Article. Most people who've uh, written have praised his composure and patience when dealing with staff, who he says were clearly trying to kill time while the Beatles recorded as many songs as they could on the rooftop. Then there are the five percent who write to Dag, and who ultimately get blocked. I hope karma visits you, you bastard! Stop stopping a genius band like that. One person wrote. Dag had been on the job for six months, mostly waving traffic, when he walked into the police station that day. The sergeant said to me, Before you go anywhere on your beat, go and shut down the, that noise, because it's not just the noise, it's the people in the streets. Thousands, recalls Dag. He says fans had also gathered on neighboring rooftops to get a glimpse of the Beatles, and it was dangerous. They have a point. Lots of people in the street, people up on the rooftops. Some of those rooftops may not have been made for having people on them. You know, one of the concerns that the Beatles had with getting up there on the roof and doing it, would the roof handle the weight of the camera equipment, the band equipment, and the people? So that was a concern. Anyway, back to the article. Uh, he, that's Dag, uh, told CTV News... Other police officers had knocked on the door of Apple Records headquarters, but with no success. He believes the only reason they let him in is because he looked young and staff thought they could sway him. As the minutes went by, Dag was patient but visibly irritated. I'm thinking I've been stalled here, he says. I'm thinking there's a finite amount of time I'm prepared to put up with. Once on the roof... Uh, once on the rooftop, there was an exchange with the road manager that no one else could hear. Uh, I said, this is quoting Dag, Right, that's it. I've been very patient. I've been trying to accommodate you, but you show no sign of stopping. Tell the four of them they're under arrest, he recalls. What the Beatles and their entourage likely didn't know at the time is that police had no power of arrest on private property, private property for the offenses they were committing on the rooftop. Uh, quoting Dag, so it would be so it would have meant arresting them on private property, taking them outside, and then I'd have gotten into a lot of trouble, a huge amount of trouble, if I had turned up at the station with the Beatles in tow, wrongfully arresting them. 
asked what he would tell Paul and Ringo today. Thank you for not calling my bluff, he responds. Uh, I read elsewhere about the guy that he was... Oh, wait a minute. There's a little bit left on the back here. Dag was never... Here it is here, right? What I had read elsewhere, but it's on the flip side of this piece of paper that I'm holding. Dag was never really a Beatles fan. He preferred Simon and Garfunkel. In fact, he only found out their rooftop show was their last one 50 years after the fact, when producers of Apple Records found him. Asked if he, reg if he regrets shutting down the last live show of one of the greatest bands in history, Dag says the guys didn't stop playing because of him. They could have easily done many more concerts together. They split up shortly after they were on the roof, he says. I happen to be there. Pure coincidence. Responsibility, I feel for it? None. So that's, uh, that's Police Constable Ray Dag, fellow made famous for pulling the plug, I guess, as it were, on the Beatles uh, in what turned out to be the Beatles' very last live performance. Kind of cool. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of uh, the Beatles' very last live performance, that rooftop show and that documentary and all that kind of stuff. Now, you do realize there was a documentary made of this footage that Peter Jackson got access to. There was one made already, uh, 1971 or so, uh, that it came out. And it was made, and you see the people who make all that footage we're seeing comes from the process of trying to make that documentary earlier on, see? And that was directed by a fellow named Michael Lindsay Hogg. And it was released as the film Let It Be. And it was released, I believe, after the Beatles had broken up. And, um, well, uh, apparently, <laughs> I, well, they, the, the, the film was nominated for a Grammy, at least one, uh, the Grammy was for Best Original Score Written for Motion Picture or a Television Show. And uh, I, I stumbled upon this um, YouTube video that shows uh, this, this Grammy Award thing. And uh, it's actually the Beatles did win. They won that Grammy uh, for the original score for the film let it be, because the music was all written for that that film. Uh, it's it's what ended up happening uh, was the the music. What ended up happening with the music was it uh, just kind of got shelved. Uh, the Beatles, you know, once the documentary, once they were done doing it, they did the rooftop thing. The documentary was being cut together from what they what uh, what uh, Lindsey Hogg had to work with, and uh, the Beatles just kind of you know let's just set that aside. Let's not worry about it. And later, uh, Phil Spector was brought in, and he, you know, did a lot of vamping on the music. He added all kinds of overdubs and stuff that they didn't want on it, but he adds all this stuff into it and put out the album Let It Be, which actually came out after what was actually the last album that the Beatles recorded. Um, but before I get to that, this YouTube video shows Paul McCartney accepting the Grammy Award for, you know, for Let It Be. And uh, it, it was odd. It's an odd video. It's an odd video when it starts because there's John Wayne. And I thought, surely this isn't a Grammy Award. This must be an Oscar Award. And I, and I wrote that in the comments. 
and I posted it. And then I saw that, no, it is the Grammy, so I deleted it. <laughs> you know, so pay attention. Don't let your pedant... Sometimes your pedantry needs to be backed up, which always it needs to be backed up. And then when you, you know, oh, no, take that down, I'm looking like an idiot. Because it was obviously a Grammy because they had all these Grammy Awards sitting in front See what happened was okay. John Wayne. That's, that's what threw me. John Wayne. What the hell is John Wayne doing at the Grammys? But he's there and he's presenting the award. And so he's you know he reads off the you know the winner and he, he reads the names: John Lennon, Paul McCartney, George Harrison, because those three guys wrote the songs that were in in the movie. And so you know, accepting for the Beatles is you know is uh, Paul McCartney. And Paul McCartney jumps up. He's apparently he's way in the back. He jumps up with Linda, his wife, and the two of them come up to the stage, right? So they get up there, and and Paul's dressed like a hippie, <laughs> and Linda's dressed like a hippie. They're not wearing, you know, black tie and tails or that kind of thing. It's, he he gets up by the stage, and uh, and John Wayne is quite tall. Anyway, John Wayne he's, he's leaning down. He's he's picking up Grammys to give to Paul. He gives one to Paul because there's three to give out. He gives one to Paul, and then he picks up a second one. And Paul kind of indicates, "Well, give that one to Linda." So he ha hands it to Linda, and then the third one, John Wayne picks up and he starts. He says, "Oh, I'll take it," and he starts to walk away with it. He doesn't, you know, there's no dialogue. You know, there's nothing being said to each other. But Paul kind of indicates, "Well, go ahead, take it." And then John turns around, "Ah, I'm just kidding," and he hands it over to Linda, and then. Paul steps up to the microphone and he says, Thank you. Good night. And the two of them walk off the stage and <laughs> walk out either back to their seats or out of the place. That was it. Thank you. Good night. And, and you could barely hear him say good night because he was moving away from the microphone when he got to that part. Now, that is how you, an accept, you accept an award. Thank you. Good night. I'm going to my next break now. You're listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim, Dr. Dimfit Simmons. I'll be back after this. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network. He's endlessly pushing the rock of reason up the hill of paranormal. It's Dr. Dim, and you're listening to Dimland Radio on Z-Talk Radio Network. Hi, I'm Darren McKee, one of the hosts of The Reality Check. Each week, my co-host and I explore a range of controversies and curiosities using science and critical thinking. You can find us on iTunes, your favorite podcasting platform, and on Facebook by searching for The Reality Check, or by following us on Twitter at TRC underscore podcast. Until then, keep an open mind, but not so open, your brain falls out. You know, if I can maneuver into a tight parking spot at the mall, I'm pretty much sexually satisfied. And I've been to the mall twice today already. You're listening to Z-Talk Radio Network.
welcome back to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I am your host, Jim, Dr. Dim Fitzsimmons. Remember, I'm not... Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. That's what I say at the top of the show. Uh, I'm going to stick with the Beatles for a little bit here. I have a couple other little things to mention about them. Uh, I think I've decided, at least at this time, at this moment in time, my favorite Beatles album is Abbey Road. Now I go, you know, I, I've in the past it's been, you know, most of the time it's been Sgt. Pepper's, you know, that's, I mean, that's, it, maybe it's cliche, but it's a damn good album, you know, it's a damn good album to listen to, it's great, and but it has the, you know, it has the George Harrison track, you know, within you and without you. That yeah, sometimes if I'm not in the mood for it, you know, it doesn't quite hit me right. But it's so it's still a good song, but it's. You know, it's just not. But uh, and then sometimes, then sometimes it's Revolver. Revolver was a terrific album. Um, It's you know, and and I pretty much like all the tracks on that one. But uh, there might be a couple that kind of might not be in the mood for, like Doctor Robert or I think that's what the songs. It's okay, you know. But in the White Album. The White Album, there was a while there where the White Album was my favorite. You know, Revolution 9, notwithstanding. I mean, that's an interesting experiment in sound that uh, that John and Yoko did. But uh, did it need to be on the album? I don't know. It's the Beatles. What are you going to do? Um, but today, uh, there's, there's another... I think I've talked about this YouTube channel. Uh before and it's called call me caroline and uh, i guess the the woman that does this video channel uh is named caroline and she's a musician and a singer and uh and and she uh, just completed a little uh, reaction video series i know there are people out there that don't like reaction videos i i'm not into all of them but every now and then it's kind of interesting to watch them and uh, um, Caroline says something about watching reaction videos that that um, uh, that I found I- interesting to say and I kind of agree with her I said no you know it's not maybe full-on maybe it's not the full thing that I'm feeling but it's it's not too unlike what I feel she says when she watches somebody else doing a reaction video to something that she knows she knows this song or this album or whatever they're doing the reaction uh, musically and to her, it, 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 watching somebody else react to a song that they're hearing for the first time makes her feel a little bit like she's hearing it again for the first time. She's experiencing it again. You can't experience a song for the first time after you've heard it once. You, know, you can't. You can't experience something for the first time again. You got your first time, and that's it. But you can experience somebody else experiencing it for the first time, and that's, I think that's part of the appeal of of the reaction videos uh now you want to make sure because you know, there's some where there's questioning how genuine they might be but uh when you see something like uh, the, the two young fellows the two brothers that uh were listening to phil collins in the air tonight uh when they were listening to that song and they were enjoying how it was going but then when the drum break comes in that big booming drums come in to it they just went 
nuts over it. They just they completely were taken by surprise and loved it. And the reaction went viral. And and Phil Collins' song went back on the charts after I don't know thirty years or whatever it was. It was back on the charts. It got up to like number two on Spotify. And that's you know, and I talked about that in the past. That was something George Robb brought up on his Geologic podcast when he talked about. You know, you got people like Don Henley who are sticks in the mud about this kind of thing, and they pull all that stuff down on YouTube when it shows up. And you got somebody like Phil Collins who says, "Well, as long as they're, it's not monetized, as long as they're not, you know, pulling money from it, it, you know, I don't care if they get views. I don't care if you know, I don't care if they use it and react to it. You know, so it, it, he gets he gets a bump in in downloads. He gets a bump in streams." He gets all that uh, because, you know, it's a song that's, you know, he's made his money off the song. <laughs> he's not going to make that much more off of it. Maybe, I don't know, depends on how many listens, I guess. But So, yeah, I talked about that before. So I guess that's the kind of, the, that's a little bit of the appeal of watching reaction videos. When I watch a reaction video, somebody's hearing uh, Won't Get Fooled Again by The Who, uh, for the first time, I know that I, I watch for that reaction to that big that big scream that Roger does at the end of the you know at the end of the uh, uh, synthesizer interlude toward the latter part of the song, and when he comes in with that that great big yeah that that just that that shriek, you know which is uh, the greatest scream shriek or whatever in rock music. It's my opinion, but to see that reaction when people hear that for the first time, you know, when the drums, when Keith Moon's drums come in, just boom, 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 they come crashing in, and then when that, you know, when all that happens, to watch their eyes light up, I think it's cool. So Caroline has been doing this series where she's listening to all the Beatles' recorded, you know, their studio-recorded material. And she's going from, you know, al- you know the first album... And then she would do videos about, uh, you know, where she would react to singles that would come out between albums. And she just, right from the beginning on through to Abbey Road. Um, even though, technically, Abbey Road wasn't the last album that the Beatles put out, but it is the last album that the Beatles recorded. So she had her video fans, the people that watch her channel, or chance of her, uh, uh, fans of her channel, would tell her, Listen to Abbey Road last, because that was you know that's the last thing they recorded together, all together. And I just you know she listens to it and it's just watching her react to that album today. She did you know and and throughout she lets us know she says look it's she's she doesn't she's not completely ignorant to the Beatles material. She knows some of their stuff and she would acknowledge that oh I know this song. She'd either you know, say that she'd know it before she hears it because she just knows it by the title. She knows it right, uh, uh, you know, right away. She knows the song. But then, otherwise, you know, if she starts hearing it, maybe she didn't know the title of it, but she hears it. And says, oh, well, I do know this one. So she would let us know, but she would still react. And because she's a musician, she would do some, you know, some analysis of the songs a little bit. She'd show you some uh, how. She didn't do a lot of it, but she would do somewhere. She'd just, you know, graphically show you what the what the notes are doing, what the bass is doing, what the guitars are doing, what the melody's doing, and she, how they work together, and how this this little adjustment here in the bass line 
gives this uh, this guitar work a little more flavor, and she she'll just she'll take you through stuff like that, and then she'll uh, uh, you know play little bits on the piano, and she'll sing a little bit, and just she does, and she has these great reactions when she's surprised by something, her eyes just light up, she just goes big, it's like whoa, what's that? What is that? And you know, and it's a, the 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 songs are disjointed in that she can't play the full song she has to cut it up because otherwise youtube would pull it down because the beatles you know their people will pull stuff down but if she cuts it up enough she can get away with uh you know and she's talking about it it goes under fair use and all that kind of stuff but you know and so you do get lots of it's a lot of jump cuts going through and you don't you start to get into the song and it's just a little few seconds and then, and then they cut and then a few seconds more and then they cut so it's that kind of stuff happening uh so she was you know, she she abbey road she comes to the end of the of the line there and just she goes through it and every song i love the melody or med, the medley on the back, not the. I love the melodies on the on the album, but the medley, the the songs that are linked together. They're shorter songs linked together, like a I don't know a mini opera, if you will. I mean, I like the Who, and they do their rock opera stuff. I don't know if they call that a a rock opera, but that medley that they do uh, on the second side of the album is it's just brilliant. The the harmonies that they get on the entire album, their harmonies, they they just really went for it on that last album uh, there was a documentary i think it's called the complete beatles uh, it's hard to find now but um i'd watched it before and you know and that goes chronologically through what the beatles did and it goes right on up through you know their breakup and all and that and uh uh but before you know after they do let it be uh they finished that album uh you know at the, uh, you know, they finished the sessions for it. They do the rooftop concert on January 30th, 1969. And then they take a break, and within a couple few months, they get back together. Paul says to George Martin, their producer, says, let's, let's you know, I want to, why can't we, let's just get back and record like we used to do. Like we used to do it. Like, you know, come in and you produce us, and let's, can't we, let's, let's do that. And George says, yeah, I want to do that. So they got back together, and they, Recorded Abbey Road, which if you watch the, the 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 Get Back documentary series, you will see some of the songs that they were working on in that documentary are songs that ended up on Abbey Road. It's just it's just fascinating and and just the continuity and how things go and these guys and I think and by then they're still they're still not thirty years old when they put that album together. It's incredible, and I think it's just a beautiful album. And and there was one thing that struck me about the album when I was watching Caroline react to it. When the album came out, it was on vinyl. Uh, and they were probably, I don't know if there were cassettes at the time, eight tracks maybe, but let's just talk vinyl, right? So you got a two-sided long-playing LP. And uh, that's long-playing, so I just said that twice. Long-playing, long-playing. <laughs> an LP album. Uh, and an album is the correct name, uh, whether it's on the uh, vinyl, if it's on 8-track, if it's on cassette, or if it's on a CD, or if it's streaming. It's an album. It's a collection of songs. It's an album. That's what it is. That's what, it's, that's what that's called. What format it's in, you know, David Letterman would say, here's an album, you know, here's their latest album in the CD format. He used to say that on Late Night with David Letterman. He used to say that. Anyway, 
when Abbey Road came out, most people bought it on vinyl. And so you get to the end of side one, and there's a song that John Lennon wrote called um, I Want You, She's So Heavy. Which is pretty much all the lyrics to it. It's I want you, I want you so bad, I want you so bad, it's driving me mad, it's driving me mad. Repeat that a few times and then say, she's so heavy. <laughs> you know, you'd say that. And it's a long song, it's seven minutes and some. It's it, and it just it's it's one of the the most ominous sounding songs the Be I think it is the most ominous sounding songs that the Beatles ever produced. It's it's heavy and it just goes and it just starts it's just really it's guttural and it, it's loud and the buzzing guitars and it's just dark and it just moves along at this menacing pace until they just cut the tape and it just ends. It just ends. Now, when you're listening to it on vinyl, you got to flip the record now. At that point, you got to flip over the record, and that that causes a longer pause between that song. If you're listening to the album all the way through, there's a longer pause between that song ending, you getting over to the record player, taking the needle off the record, flipping it over, getting it started again, sitting it down, and listening to it. It takes a little more time than what it took when it came out on CD. And now when you can listen to it, either download the whole thing or just stream it, listen to it on Spotify or wherever you're listening to your music, there's a difference. Because that song ends, they just cut the tape, it just ends. And then there's a few seconds of the, you know, the black hole between tracks. And then you get this lilting guitar you get Here Comes the Sun by George Harrison and it's just it's it's almost whiplash <laughs> whoa <laughs> they just they really take you down to the depths she's so heavy I mean that song is heavy it, it's a, it presses on you and it takes you down you know, and then you get this other song that's just so light and pulls you right up and it's beautiful it's just a beautiful and I don't. I wonder, you know, uh, you know, if the Beatles listen to the album in that format, or like CD format, or download it. They listen to the album. I wonder if they had a different reaction to that, 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 that quicker getting to the next song than you would get when you listen to vinyl. I wonder if it changes things, or if it's just me being a weirdo. <laughs> it's a great album. And I, it's like right now, I think it's my favorite. It's just, it's just, I don't. There isn't a song that I want to skip on it. Uh, you know, I want you. She's so heavy. Maybe, you know, maybe it might be too oppressive of a song for me at some point. But usually, no. It's just, I just, it. Dig it. We used to listen to it at the bar that we used to hang out and drink at. We we put it in there. We just listen to it. We just go, God, listen to these guys. This is the Beatles. This is I. I, I want to hold your hand. This is them. It's the same band. It's remarkable. So um, I would think it'd be cool. I, I don't know if Caroline would do this, but if somebody would do, you know, you know me, if somebody would do a reaction, first time hearing all all of the albums by The Who. Or maybe, you know, do The Rolling Stones, do Led Zeppelin, do Rush, do, you know, ABBA. 
No, listen to all the albums first time and and do a reaction thing like that. I think it'd be interesting. Um, but I, I doubt I won't I'm not going to hold my breath that that's going to ever happen because a lot of these bands have a lot more albums than what the Beatles had. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, you could do that with the Sex Pistols and you just be one and done. Okay, maybe you put the soundtrack of the great rock and roll swindle, but yeah, no, you just want never mind the bullocks, and that's fine. You're one and done. But uh, interesting, and I, and it's uh, I'll link to the um, to the Abbey Road one, and then you can from there you can backtrack and find her other ones, and and they're great. And she's just delightful. <laughs> she really is. She's just terrific. What she does, I think it's great. Now, uh, what have I got here for time? I gotta check and see when I gotta quit. Well, shit. <laughs> Um, yeah, check it out. Uh, see what it's. See what you think. Uh, and I wanted to to um, this show this week has been. I think you've noticed that it's been pretty positive. Uh, I haven't done you know my usual complaining, and <laughs> and I haven't you know. And my pedantic moment was not you know hopefully for some fun and all that because we got some heavy times happening and they've been happening for a long time. So I thought you know I could talk about Ukraine, what's going on over there, and you know COVID is still a thing even though it seems like we're beginning to emerge on the other side. I'm still wearing a mask when I go out, and I, I, I find myself being the only person or nearly the only person in some situations where I'm wearing a mask and nobody else is. What's going on here? Uh, but that seems to be changing. And I might begin to take my chances and take the mask off and, and do that. I, I, I might get there uh, soon, but we'll just, we'll see. But, you know, again, Ukraine and, and the inflation going on in our country, gas prices. Let me leave you with this little nugget before I get out of here. I was watching... Uh, on the YouTube, uh, an old episode of Late Night with David Letterman, uh, something from 1983. Uh, and when Letterman in those days, when he would go to commercial, and the show would go to commercial, they would put up a, uh, a photographic image that would have Late Night written in there somewhere. And it would be of uh, something typically New York City, you know, something like that. But, and or, or, or like, or city, or urban, or something like you just have something like that. And in this particular show, uh, they went to commercial. They showed this photograph that shows two gas pumps, the old style of gas pumps that you would see in the 1980s, late 1970s and 1980s. You know that, that style of gas pump. And on top of each of the two gas pumps, in big bold numbers, are the prices for a gallon of gas. One of them, the premium was a dollar fifty seven a gallon. The other, the regular unleaded, was a dollar forty seven per gallon. And I know what you're thinking. Oh boy, to pay a dollar forty seven a gallon, oh that be wouldn't that be glorious? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well let me give you a little perspective on this. I went and took that number, dollar forty seven, I took the regular unleaded price because most of us just get regular unleaded. Not we don't all spring for the super premium or the whatever. So I took the $1.47, $1.47, and I put it into a Google uh, inflation calculator thing. And uh, you, I put in, you know, uh, in 1980, if, if in 1983 uh, something cost $1.47, in this case a gallon of gas, it would cost, what do you think it would cost today? Today it would cost 
$4.15. Now the gas prices have gotten up pretty high here in Minnesota. They've gone up to um, $3.79. I saw that today. $3.79. Now, uh, I, when I was initially doing this gas price checking, the gas price uh, per gallon was $3.39. So I did a reversed, uh, a reverse uh, inflation calculation on that. Uh, a gallon of gas today being $3.39, which I know it's, like I said, $3.79. But when I did this, it was $3.39. In 1983, would be a dollar twenty. So we're, you know, historically, when adjusted for inflation, we in Minnesota at least are still paying less for a gallon of gas than we were paying if a dollar forty-seven was the price here in the Twin Cities. Who knows what it was then? That might be a New York price, so it could be different. But you know, it's four dollars and fifteen cents. Of course, if you live in California or Hawaii, you're sitting there saying, "God, I'd love to pay." Four four fifteen for a gallon of gas because those guys are paying like five bucks a gallon or six bucks a gallon now. I know. Let's hope. Let's hope things get figured out, and you know we can go electric soon. Maybe that'll help. What do you think? Good night, Adolfo. Good night, Frau Blucher. Got to the end of another show. Well, continue to wash your hands and distance yourself if you need to. But things are getting better. But get vaccinated, get boosted, and wear a mask if you need to. You've been listening to Dimland Radio on the ZTalk Radio Network at ztalkradio.com. I'm your host, Jim Dr. Doom, Fitzsimmons reminding you to sleep with the lights off. check out my show notes at dimland.com. Just click on the blog option and you can email your questions and comments to drdim at dimland.com. That's D-R-D-I-M at dimland.com. And the opening theme song, Ram, is by Theolius and is used with permission. Production of the Z Talk Radio Network. And now a message to our competitors. Thanks. Thanks for tuning us in.
Well, well I'm, I'm going, going to hell. hell.